mind, turned to a portion of scripture that's found in Deuteronomy. So if you'll turn with me to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'd like to read the entire chapter. This is the words of Moses. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we are not only small, but we occupy a very small time slot of on this timeline here on earth. And yet you have a plan, a plan that far exceeds our time frame. Father, we pray that we might humble ourselves, that we might allow us to be used to be faithful witnesses and faithful conduits of thy truth to the coming generations. The torch could be passed on, the relay race continued, and that coming generations might ask what do these things mean? Father, we know we are weak and have failed in many ways. We pray for grace. pray for forgiveness. We pray for uh, we repent. We, we repent, Father, of where we have chosen to look at the things that we have received at your hand and to think we are entitled to them. We can take credit for them. And we can focus on their enjoyment rather than using them for this greater purpose. Father, there is a lot of people around us that believe differently, who influence us. We pray that we could remind and stir each other up even in this day and in this hour to fortify our minds with the truth that we'll not swept along with their lies. Father, we pray that our coming generations could see true faith burning in our hearts and in our priorities and in our choices. Lord, that they would be inspired to something higher, something pure, something truer. Lord, that, that they would be able to see through all the smugness and fake science so-called, as your word describes it, of the sophistry, of the pretended intellectualism and Lord, that they could see 
the heart. Both our Heavenly Father and the depravity of the heart that beckons to them with lies. Speak to us clearly through your word this morning. May your word penetrate throughout this land, throughout this world. We pray for our leaders, Lord, that they could repent, that they could see where their strength comes from. It's not through how we organize ourselves, but through what we believe, and that not all beliefs have consequences. They are not interchangeable. And as we abandon our faith in God, we don't find freedom, we find bondage. Father, open their eyes, we pray, to the truth of your word. And Lord, help us to be a better reflection of that. Father, we pray for our children. Lord, open their eyes also. The time is short. We see it hurtling towards the prophesied end. Lord, may they not be lax in preparing for that. Lord, we're thankful for those brothers who are still with us, that still raise up a standard, that can still speak of days, of making choices, hard choices, Lord, may we not just listen to them with critical ears, with bore attention, but recognize that these are critical links to reality we may soon face ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Time does not permit us this morning to recount everything that we heard last night at the men's gathering. But there have been a number of things in my own life and my own experiences that have been kind of coming together that have been kind of summed up, I think, in last night's gathering. A number of weeks ago, I think it was close to the start of the year, one of my daughters, my eldest daughter, um, she really enjoys history. She loves reading. She loves reading historical fiction and historical fact, learning about the past. I think I would safely say it's her favorite subject. And she's been disappointed with how little history is being taught in school. And. Of course, the other thing is that most of her classmates despise history. And so she asked one of her teachers, or, or one of the other students, I can't remember this part exactly, but I remember the response. It may have been one of the other students that asked the teacher, why do we learn history? As a kind of a, like, why are we wasting our time kind of question. And the teacher had an opportunity to teach the children something essential, something important. She blew it. 
She says, well, I don't know. It's just part of the curriculum. Something like that. I thought, this is the point that we've come to. History was the first thing that was taught. Whether your viewpoint is biblical or not, I think that's a, a statement without contest. Around the campfire, the past was recounted so the next generation could know two things. Who they were and what mistakes and triumphs of the past would influence then their future. Those two things. The great triumphs, the great disasters, and who they were, where they came from. History is critical that we would learn not to repeat the mistakes of the past. If the 20th century had a prophet, it was the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. He understood ahead of the time what was going on in society, in the Western society. And his most famous phrase that is oft repeated is part of a short story, poem he wrote. I think it's called Requiem for a Madman. And in it, the famous lines, God is dead, appear. But many people don't even understand the context of that statement. They take it as an absolute. But if you would read it, he said this, God is dead, we have killed him. From now on, we will have to light lamps in the twilight. Who took the sponge and wiped away the horizon? There is no longer up nor down. What Friedrich Nietzsche realized was that by removing God, by killing him, as he said, humanity had lost its moorings. Now look at today. Here we are in the 20th century. Nietzsche realized the horrible implications of the, the death of God, as he called it. And the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of humanity. Because Nietzsche came to the only logical conclusion, which was this. We have killed God. Now we must sit on his throne and be as God. Let me ask everyone here, from the most hardened skeptic to the most fervent believer, how is that working out for us as a society? Man sitting on the throne of God. It seems to me that our society has lost its mind. It's not ironic that Nietzsche also died insane in an asylum when he realized what would happen. We have got to the point now where we can no longer, under, or no longer affirm the biological differences between men and women. C can you imagine that? Stop and back up from that a moment and, and, and think about it. Something so obvious. How could we have got to this point? I will tell you. It's very simple. We forgot who we were. That's it. By forgetting who we were, creatures made in the image of God. This insanity is here now. Deuteronomy is a summing up 
of the law of Moses. God found it very important to remind one more time the children of Israel who they were, who he was, and what their path was to be. And a few things stuck out to me. We don't have time for an extended meditation on this, but I'd like to at least touch on a few areas and perhaps you can think about them yourself. In the second verse it says, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life that thy days may be prolonged. All his statutes and his commandments. Moses realized the importance of that all. You begin to pick and choose with God's word to discard portions that you see as being less relevant or non-essential and you can end up in some very odd places. It's critical that we recognize first of all that God's wisdom is higher than ours. Without that foundation there is no way that you will arrive at the right conclusions. You will be sitting on the throne of God and the end of that is insanity. How will you deal with that responsibility? What decisions will you make? To what will you reference? Teach them to thy son and thy son's son. The teaching does not end. Why? Because the story continues as well. And last night as we heard some of those brothers explain some of the things that they had learned. There were things there that, that uh, some of the things I hadn't heard before, other stories were familiar. But there was one point that Brother Costa highlighted a few times. He said, be very careful who you sign on with. Be very careful who you associate with. And he gave some examples from the former Yugoslavia of those, he was in, his family was kind of in a little bit of a unique position. His father was Serbian but his father's parents, his, his, on his mother's side, uh, was German, and his, his father's father was Serbian. And so he was of mixed parentage. He, he had both a, a German uh, background as well as Serbian. And he related the story, which I don't recall hearing before, of his father, how he had been conscripted at 50-plus years old. He could no longer serve in the active military, but they pulled him up to be a tailor. And so they dressed him in, in, in uniform, and he was in this factory, I think in Belgrade, uh, sewing uniforms, made to sew uniforms. And then uh, he relates how the, the, the commander came in and said, everyone run for your lives, the Germans have broken through, it's over. And so he left the factory and he was still in uniform. And so the Germans obviously picked him out and said, you're a soldier, and they took him back to Germany. And he was sent to the town of Dusseldorf, in Germany, on the west side of Germany, north sort of west. And uh, he was um, put on the uh, estate of a, of a very wealthy German man who was connected somehow to the Nazi party. And this man was so impressed with his ability to speak fluent German, he said, okay, you are going to be 
the, the, uh, the overseer of your uh, countrymen from, from Serbia, from Yugoslavia. They're gonna, I'm going to tell you what they need to do and you tell them because you understand me and you understand them. So you're going to be the manager here. And Brother Costa's father said, I will tell them what you want me to tell them, but I will work alongside them. And the man couldn't understand. Why would you do that? You're an overseer. You only need to tell them what they need to do. He says, if the Lord wills, if he tarries, one day I'm going to go back home. What do you think my fellow countrymen will think of me when I'm back home? And they say, you were the one who gave us the tasks. You were the one that told us what to do. He said, no, I will tell them, but I will work alongside them. An understanding and a vision, a foresight. We heard that from Brother Frank Bauman last night as well. The vision that a few brothers, a few poor brothers, had of having a church in the Kitchener area and how they dedicated themselves to that, and how it took years for that to come to fruition, and how they were careful, how they built first the lower level of the old Sydney church and worshiped there until they had saved enough money, and they were sure that they could afford to build the sanctuary on top of that foundation. All the while teaching their children the things of the Lord. And Brother Frank talked about the fruit of that, how the next generation, the church just grew, blossomed as the children of those believers turned to the Lord and began having families of their own. And from that, a large church was born from very humble beginnings on the second story of the Orange Hall in old downtown Kitchener. The sons and the sons' sons were told And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets before thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. We don't follow this exactly the way that the Lord gave this to the children of Israel. But think about it for a moment, what the Lord was telling them. Put them on the gates of your house. Put them on uh, between your eyes and on your hand. Do people know that there is a Christian house? There is a Christian family? There is a Christian worker? Is it obvious? Is it the defining mark? of who we are as a people in this world? Think about it. Nothing was hidden, no secret sign of the Christian. Obvious, plain for people to see. The defining mark, the, 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 the prime ambition to be identified as a child of God. That's tough for me to hear too. Other people in the neighborhood know me as a father of a large family, a general good guy, a neighbor that keeps his grass cut, <clears throat> generally pretty talkative and pleasant, a handyman. But do they know me as a Christian? 
Is that the, the, the prime identity that I have where I am? Is that what people see when they look at me? And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Continues. There was a verse, I, I skipped it, in verse 3. This, this caught my attention when I, when I read this passage again. The way that I think is I, I tend to remember part of a verse and then I look it up in a concordance and then I go read it in context. And this really stood out to me when I reread this chapter uh, again. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Think about that. Typically, the church has increased under persecution. We've heard stories about that. And initially, when our forefathers, spiritual forefathers anyway, came to this land, the church did increase mightily. But where are we today? What have we lost? What hasn't been taught? What hasn't been caught? It's always God's plan to give us good things. And in giving us those good things, he doesn't do it to spoil us. It's not like God made the way open for our forefathers to come to this place to have a good land and a safe existence so that the church could wither and die. No. He expected us to increase mightily. Some things did increase mightily. Our bank balances, our net worth as a denomination, I would say that's probably soared. But what has, at what, what has, at what expense has that come? Have we become identified more with the business world, with the professional world? Are we identified maybe now by political views? Have we forgot the things? that our forefathers learned. Have we forgot who we are? Last night was a good, a good reminder for me. Verse 20 says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? What do these things mean? Why do we sing from this funny book? Why do we even sit separate? Why do we call each other brother and sister? Why do we greet with a holy kiss? Why do we find the idea of the brotherhood and supporting each other so important? All of these little things. Why? Do we have an answer? Do we have a response? Do they even ask us? 
Those are hard questions. But they're part of who we are. I'm so thrilled to see the next generation of believers discover the Zion's heart. To see it speak to them in the way that it spoke to me. Because when I was a young man, I wasn't too impressed with that black book either. I thought it was dull. I thought it was boring. And I thought the singing, frankly, was not something I'd be interested in even listening to, never mind participating in. But over time, the things that I realized about myself and who I was and where I came from opened up in that book and suddenly I saw a whole new world. A faith that I aspire to. An attitude that is a refreshing difference from the spirit of the times that we live in. Truths that are indeed timeless. The danger of forgetting who we are is that it can no longer then be passed on to the next generation. The Lord will continue his work. He will work with believers all over the world until he returns. I'm convinced of that. And we are certainly not the only ones. But we have a heritage. We have a history. We have things that God has taught us, and we are responsible for them. We should live in a way that is indeed different We should be characterized by this otherworldliness that the children of Israel were supposed to carry before the nations. A nation who had no king, as it were, like the other countries, but whose king was an invisible God who had laws that guarded and guided them in every area of life from personal hygiene to the order of worship. And the nations of the, of, uh, surrounding them, you can read in other places where it says, the, the nation said, and what nation is there that hath a God so great as their God? How do you make an invisible God great in the eyes of the world? You live out your faith in that same invisible God. And people will ask questions. They will wonder why you do things in a certain way. And if you know your history, you can point back and say, look, wherever people have followed this, blessings have resulted. The Lord rescued our family out of a very dire situation and brought us here and preserved us. And we see his hand in the way that he did it. So I will remain true to that same God who led us this far. We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. When God commands us things, it is for our good. It is for our benefit. It's meant for the very best that he could give us.
to fight against the commands of God, to go against his will, is only to invite misery for ourselves. And when we think that we can trade those things for something else, we end up the losers. We don't rob God by not worshiping him. It's impossible, really, to, to do that. In the end, we hurt ourselves. May we remember where we came from, what the Lord has done in us, how he has provided for us in the past, and how he will continue to provide for us in the future, in the days ahead. And then our children will be able to say that the Lord has preserved us alive unto this day because we chose to follow him. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. Would our brother please find a hymn? History, we heard, uh, helps us know where we are, where we have been, and where we're going, and helps us get perspective. I also appreciate uh, what some of these older brothers shared last night. Brother Costa really seemed to be making a point about not aligning ourselves with movements and political winds of the day and giving painful experiences of his own uncles who, who, who took advantage of, you know, the ascending star of the Nazis in Yugoslavia and ended up losing their lives in a very painful way. And uh, it was interesting and uh, that this came right on the heels of me talking to some young men who also were following political winds and uh, attending other churches where they saw um, uh, a protest culture against the current government and you know we can all understand why some people may be frustrated or may see lots of inconsistencies or, or um, uh, injustice uh, with the, how the government might be handling whatever crises and how the churches might be handled in that. But they ended up seeing through that the spirit, the spirit of it was a, a spirit of, of rebellion, a spirit about the cult, the cult of personality, of following a charismatic, strong leader and who end up being a flawed uh, person who may speak well, but whose character was manifest. And, and they were very disillusioned and found themselves back in our midst and, re and appreciating um, perhaps our less polished, uh, not sophisticated, not seminary trained ways, but ways that are lived out with integrity and with humility and consistency with the word of God. We have something special here that we can count on each other, we can trust each other that we are committed to each other. 
and we dare not allow the forces of culture to bring wedges in and divide us from each other and especially from the Word of God, from the truth of who He is and the character of Jesus Christ who never operated from a position of power, never took advantage of whatever uh, was offered to Him uh, by popularity, who, who saw his point in history that he was, this was a fleeting moment <laughs> and the people's praise more fleeting still. And who didn't hold on to these things but was willing to trade his, his things that he never collected, the praise of people that he never pursued and even his very life in order to provide us in this day a hope that transcends all of that. Because our point in history is so limited, but eternity is coming. Sometimes, I, I, young people, I think I do you a disservice when I come and, and express interest in your lives and wondering how school is going and how your careers are going and what's new. and I. And I genuinely am interested. I care. I want to see you flourish. But that flourishing is transient. What I really want to see is that you are prepared for eternity. And that there is a hope that's going to transcend all of this stuff that it, you cannot keep. And we don't tie our fortunes not to a political movement or even an economic prosperity that we cannot keep but to Christ though it be the cross it will take us through securely to eternity may that be our one and only confidence that will conclude this morning service